Hey everyone, this is Matt Kamen, your, what would you say, Ashley? Am I like an incredible host? Am I like a mediocre host? Are we getting better? Are we getting worse? What's going on? Let's see, I like this game. Um, it's like 21 questions or $10,000 pyramid. You are the... Come on, you can do this. We're supposed to be fast. Handsome. Yes, yes, I like that. I am the handsome host of Nonprofit on the Rocks and you, Ashley Watterson, are... I think a pretty good producer right now of the show. What would you say? I'm working on it. You haven't fired me yet, Matt. So every day that goes by is a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? So I think people are starting to come back to the office. Do you think that people are going to be driving more and then listening to podcasts more? Or are we over podcasts? What are you thinking? I think that podcasts are not going anywhere. I think they are the new format. I think... Just in the same way that people aren't digesting their news as much through the newspaper, they are steering away from shows that are on the air at a certain time, right? That's, I mean, that's not how we watch TV anymore either. So I think podcasts are where it's at. So we are like right in the zone. So what you're saying is that things are starting to come back to normal here and people are going to continue, if not more so, to listen to our podcast. And yes, and you know what else is coming back to normal, Matt? And this is a double-edged sword here in LA, traffic. Mm. Traffic's coming back as things are opening up. Not great, except where do people listen to their podcasts, Matt? In their cars. In their cars. You're so smart, Ashley. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so this this is working to our benefit. Everyone Mm. else's detriment is our benefit. So the more traffic that we have, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the more listeners we're going to get. Is that what you're saying? Anyway, all right. Well, my hope is that we will, again, get more listeners, grow, uh, be able to show the world how amazing our nonprofit sector is in this country, how incredible our leaders are, our founders. And on that note, this next episode, see, didn't you like that segue? That was a good segue. Really well done. Excellent segue. Thank you. I think I'm getting better. And this next episode is with Nick Arquette, who is the founder of Walk With Sally, which people will learn more about. I'm, I'm so proud of this episode because Ashley, I think that you could call me Oprah. Almost, right, Oprah? Almost. I think if nothing else, you are Oprah adjacent. Fine, fine. And by the way, I want to be Oprah adjacent. I want to live in that $14 million house that Harry and Meghan live in right next to Oprah. I want to be able to go next door. I want to complain about my my rich family. There's just so many things I want to do. But I had that Oprah moment, I think, in this episode. And I am so proud. I'm so proud of myself. I feel like I've grown. Can I say that on the air? Am I allowed to be full of myself? You can totally say that. And honestly, that whole uh, $14 million house thing, I think the answer there is just suck up to Tyler Perry. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it was his estate if I'm, if I'm reading my tabloids correct. On that note, Ashley, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know? We would like to remind everyone, as always, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. And go to our website. We always have a lot of fun links for things we've talked about in the show that you can check out. And if you have ideas for future guests, or as Matt is incessantly talking about, sponsored ideas, ideas for people and companies that might sponsor us, please do let us know. Yes. I want a commercial. I want it to be some kind of like song. I just want to be able to break in the middle and be like, hold on, everyone. We're going to commercial. Like, I just want to be able to do that, Ashley. I'm putting you on the spot here. Think of a commercial from your childhood or something that sticks in your mind that had like, it was maybe the most annoying commercial ever, but it like stuck. What's a jingle that like hits you? Oh, what was it? Where's the beef? There it is. Where's the beef? (laughs) Where's the beef? And you could hold back your homophobic comment because I know you want to, but that's what literally just popped into my brain just then was where's the beef? People, we need a where's the beef type of commercial in the middle of our episode. So do find us on the web, envisionnonprofit.com and enjoy this episode with Nick Arquette. Hello, Nick Arquette, founder of Walk With Sally. Welcome to the show. Matt, thank you. Of course, you and I have never met. So it's always really interesting to do a podcast with somebody that I've never met before because I don't know anything about you. So uh, we're going to- Are you nervous? Am I nervous? I feel like (laughs) you. 
Well, the, here's the thing that everybody should know. It is 1.06 on a very rainy day in LA, which you'll never hear me say anymore. And I'm going to open up a bottle of champagne because this is supposed to be a happy hour show. So you, on the other hand, are not drinking. Uh, no, I am drinking. I'm going to have a little oh. beer. Oh, wow. I got you to drink. Okay, so I just want to know while I try and open up this bottle of champagne, um, when Nick and I started, hold on, here we go. Thank you very much. You had a cup of coffee. So like, I've sort of, I feel like, I don't know, pushed you over the edge a little bit. Well, you know, my team was like, you know, that that this is all about a relaxed environment, talking about charity, which, you know, I think we want to have more of these types of conversations. It's, you know fun to kind of let our hair down, so to speak, and be able to just have fun with the conversation and about the mission. So I appreciate it. And my favorite brewery that just moved into town, as I told you before we got on, Culture Brewery um, is doing some really fun beers out of Encinitas and they've moved up to the South Bay. So it was kind of fun to just have an excuse to stop by and tell them we were going to support today. Cheers to you. Here's some champagne at 1 p.m. where I have 19 meetings after this. So I'm blaming you if I show up terribly. Cheers. Yes, thank you. And I, me the same. I've got many meetings after this, but I'm happy to be here sharing an hour with you of festive joy. Here we go. Yes, that's right. And I think a little bit of lubrication is never bad for any meeting. I wanted to just make sure everybody understands this. So you guys reached out to us, but you've never listened to any of these podcasts. So you don't even know like what to expect. And I don't even know, by the way, if I should be offended by that, that you haven't listened to um, or like excited because you don't know what to what to expect. Like, what, how should I be feeling right now? One is that I was honest that I hadn't. <laughs> Two is, is that what got me was your hook that you created, which was like a 90 minute sizzle or 90 second sizzle. So right. I think I've, I made up for a little of that. And we did reach out to you because I have a great team that's always interested in figuring out how we get our message about walk with Sally out there. And so I appreciate it. I think you should be ambivalent and also that the improvisational aspect of this is going to add so much more value to the call. I mean, well, you haven't heard anything, so I may be horrible at this and bomb, but we'll find out. And look, at the end of the day, honestly, if it's a terrible podcast, nobody needs to know. It's between you and me at that point. Who cares? (laughs) All right. And and we can make ourselves a promise. If at the end of the hour, we know this is bad, then let's just agree that we'll just come back and do it again next week. (laughs) But here's the thing. If we are going to come, come back and do this again at the end of next week, I need to do it at like five so I could drink some brown liquor. I mean, it's cold outside. This is a brown liquor kind of day. I agree. I agree. And I'm now feeling bad that I've scheduled us for one. You should. That's the way I like to start every podcast is for me to remind my my interviewee that you should feel bad. That is a sign of a phenomenal host, if you ask me. You may have to start writing a book, like a how-to. And like chapter two is like, just desecrate your your guest. Like make them feel so bad that by the time they start, they just want to get off. I mean, you can only go up from there. So like, you know, what are you going to do? I feel really bad because I know you've probably had this question 19,000 times and I apologize for doing it again. I promise you this is just my first horrible question and then we'll be, again, we can- Oh no, I love it. Okay, so your last name is Arquette. Are you in any way related to the famous actors of the Arquette family? Well, I am. And I would say that the, the family, very large on the acting side, I came to LA to act. My relationship to them is uh, they are cousins. Uh, And their grandfather and my grandfather are brothers. So there you have it. Now we're going to call them out. My apologies. Have they supported (laughs) you on your nonprofit? Have they like lent their name? Well, you have the name. Have they lent some cash? Like, have they done something to be supportive? They have not. And I think that that part of that has been that, and I'll be truthful, I didn't want to come to them when I first started it. And um, I was very close with their father who passed away about eight years ago. And and have been disconnected from them since then, since that was kind of my connection. So I've kind of had this thing around, do I really want to reach out and ask them for their support? And it's just kind of that weird thing of not wanting to feel like I'm just calling them to say, hey, come to my charity event. But they're very philanthropic. And uh, the last time I saw Patricia, she was still doing um, a show called The Medium on CBS, Mm -hmm. and which has been now quite some time. And at their dad's um wake funeral um and so it is time it's time i talked i told my team i'm like you know what like who cares right we we were all together when we were kids my grandfather is their great uncle it's it's all good i also my wife reminds me have a lot of photographs and memorabilia from 
their grandfather, who was on vaudeville, Charlie Weaver, um, and and an actor in his own right. Um, He was on the Hollywood Squares. He was the old man with the cap and the glasses. Um, And so he was quite a a character actor himself. So I have a lot of memorabilia from from my grandfather in stuff that I got So for the family. I, I definitely 100% think you should reach out because the worst they can do is say no. And now that we've called them out, they haven't been supportive. We're going to make sure that they are supportive. Um, so my apologies. Yeah, I mean, our viewers are going to probably call them out. We'll start getting a whole social media thing. Maybe we can cancel them, like just cancel okay. culture them. No, no, I want that. I, I mean, let's put out the positive. The positive is you're going to have, there's, let's say there's like one listener out there who's somewhat connected and you're going to get like a huge check and uh, we're gonna restart this relationship. So I'm putting that out there as a positive now that like we're getting something out of this. I love it. I have a big event every year called White Light, White Night. And we usually get about 1500 people dressed in white. It's a summer party. And this would be a perfect opportunity for them to come and just be um, supporting and, and having people excited to see them and, and be a part of it. And, and like I said, they do, they, they are very philanthropic. I don't see why they wouldn't wanna help. I know their mom, um, had a battle with cancer and so there's a relationship around um the cancer story for them and it's going to happen we just put it in the universe we just put it in the universe so i have i actually then i have a question about putting it in the universe you said there's an event for your organization which we'll get into in a minute um in the summer are we actually going to be able to get back together again in the summer like i'm just so tired it's been a year so we're doing this and it's been a year anniversary of covid now of the shutdown do you think that by the summer we'll actually be able to like you know hang out. Yeah. I, th- I feel the vibration. I think that all signs point to yes, especially over the last two weeks. Um, I've been able to watch the trends and especially when it pertains to events. I, a lot of my close friends have their own event companies. So I've been really dialing into the people that know, and you know, it, a lot of it does depend on your municipality as to what you're going to be able to pull off. But when you see that the state is starting to talk about Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm and Universal Studios this month as shopping and food courts. And you're seeing the baseball season is going to be opening with a crowd of people. My events in August and I'm, a, I'm at this point with the vaccine going so quickly. And the fact that we have all of a sudden accelerated at such a, a level of things that people go into emotionally and they don't understand the core value of the business side of it. Um, it is like you and I just said, it is a full blown business raising, you know, millions of dollars in some cases. Um, and I think the last thing I'd say is be prepared to be creative and innovative because it is an extremely creative endeavor. Yeah. And if you're not being innovative, you're, you're going to die. So if I came to you now as a potential donor and I said, I'm going to give you right now a million dollar check, but I want you to I don't know, provide, provide therapy to the, to the kids that you guys serve. Would you take my money or would you like <laughs> oh <my God>. another <laughs> I would say this. I would probably not provide therapy but I have long after developing this model thought about providing some group support under the guise of a therapist. So you probably could talk me into funding the therapy piece by bringing in a marriage and family therapist who has an expertise around this. I am interested in what it means to be a part of a community when you're a kid and you're going through this experience. And when I first started, group therapy existed at all the hospitals and a lot of nonprofits. And I knew that that wasn't my North Star. But I'm now believing that we have an audience now in Los Angeles that would crave to have it be the Wauquasalli community as opposed to St. Jude. Got it. You know, so I'm I'm very interested in that. And so are you going to write that check? I mean, that's, that's, I knew you were going to turn that back around. I mean, you do have a box at the Hollywood Bowl. The least you could do is donate that for my next event. Actually, actually I have two boxes at the Hollywood Bowl, but that's a whole other conversation. I mean, do you Uh, ever donate it to charity? (laughs) I take from charity. That is my business model. We get paid from charity. That's, you know, that's why nobody should ever hire us. No, Um, I, uh, I would like to get some sponsors to the podcast. And the minute that we get some sponsors, I write that check to you. Deal? Well, we have a deal with um, Tito's and we have a deal with Stella and oh, Babe okay. Rose. 
So maybe there's something we can do there. I mean, I'll take some tea. I'll just take a bottle. You, all you have to do is get me a bottle. And that's, <laughs> You're easy. <laughs> that's what I heard. Yeah, no, I can make that happen. We've got several cases left over from our last event, um, which was a lot of fun doing it uh, in COVID, which we'll talk about. Uh, you got wasted in COVID. I mean, everybody gets wasted in COVID. I think all of us have had a little bit of a drinking problem in COVID, and who knows if that's going to change. I can't promise that I'm going to change. <laughs> I got a channel us back. My apologies for going. Yeah, you probably have listeners who really want to know uh, what do I do? How do I start a nonprofit? Yeah. And what are some yeah. of the challenges? Yeah. So let's let's start with um, with your organization because I think your mission is so incredible. What you do. So would you like to explain to folks kind of how Walk with Sally came about? Sure. I mean, the genesis of Walk with Sally really starts with um, my mom a single mom living in the Bay area, um, raising two sons, my brother, Alex, a little older than I was three and a half years older and her living a single mom life, working two jobs and getting her kids through, uh, at that time, elementary school, and then had a lump in her breast, sat us down and said she was going to have a surgery and hopefully everything was going to be fine. And that was the beginning of a very, difficult period in my life, which lasted over five years. And it culminated in a lot of change, losing my friendships, moving to Idaho to a dad I didn't know very well, um, being a part of a new family, um, losing my dog. Jeez. Um, you know, cancer, I tell people changes everything. And there's a, an indelible mark that it leaves and it's an impact. I happen to be volunteering through the Screen Actors Guild at the Lawndale Elementary School, they would assign an actor to a school and you would adopt like a third grade class and you would read to them every week. So you'd work through the principal and the, and the teacher get placed and then you'd get to know this class for the year. So I was really committed to that program and started to learn about the families. And of course, many of them in this mostly Latinx community had cancer stories. Dad had passed away a year ago. Families all living together because mom passed away. Um, just different stories. People just recently diagnosed. And so eventually I told the principal that I wanted to mentor one of the children who had immigrated here from Cuba and his mom died of breast cancer. So he's basically living with an aunt and four of his nephews or nieces. His name was Hassani. And I started spending time with Hassani. I would bring my dog to, to school, I would take him to McDonald's and we just started sharing about our experiences and losing our moms. And it was real. And I think he learned how to communicate and to make a friend. And I decided that this needed to be in every city in the country and ultimately worked with the school to support me with resources. Most of my friends became volunteer leaders and we just started sharing in the community. And that was sort of the beginning of our, our philanthropic raising money. Um, and looking at the business side of it, which was how could we really do this and sustain it? How old were you when your mom um, told you that she had discovered a lump? I, I want to say, you know, fifth grade, I had a paper route and I was getting excited about the fact that I was going to be going into junior high the following year and what that was going to mean. And so being 11 and fifth grade was when I remember I spent my birthday waiting to find out what happened during the surgery, if the biopsy became malignant yeah. or cancerous. So do you, I mean, cause I look back to when I was 11 and like there, are, I have very few memories, but also I was 11. You don't know much. So like, do you remember what, how much you understood of what was going on? Like what you were actually feeling at the time? It's funny. We have an exercise in our mentor training while we, where we asked that question pick a time in your life and write about it. And it's such a great exercise for people because they've never done that before. It's like, okay, third grade. All right. Who was your teacher? What was your school? What was your relationship to adults? Mm -hmm. Did you know anything about cancer at that time? What was your friendships like? Were you cool in school? What was your opinion of yourself around other people? It's, it's an amazing exercise. And it helps you to identify where children are at certain ages when you relate back to what you were like, right? So 
I think that for me, I had to grow up fast because I had a single mom. She was dating. There had been several men in and out of my life. Not like several like crazy, but like I had a stepdad at one point and they got a divorce. And so I think there was a lot of growing up. I mean, I was walking home from school. It's in second grade, you know, and for my kids, that would be like unheard of. And they live 10 blocks from school. I don't think they've ever once walked to school. No offense, girls. I just don't think you have. <laughs> um, so it's a different time, right? You know, um, in the 80s and growing up in that world. But I think I definitely was a much more of a street kid than most of my peers. Asking the same questions that you ask, when your mom talked to you and told you about that, do you remember what you were thinking? I mean, did you, under, did you understand the gravity of it? I don't remember that other than being like, oh, it's my birthday and this is really inconvenient. Right. And scared for my mom. I'll be honest with you, Matt. Like, I remember knowing that, like, she could lose her breast. Like, that I remember being very concerned about. But maybe even concerned about it from, like, a, oh, my God, like, I don't want anyone to know my mom may may have to lose her breast. Like, I didn't know what that all was going to mean. But I remember being really afraid of that. But I tell you the time I was really afraid was when she told me I couldn't live with her anymore because she was too sick. Yeah. That was gut-wrenching and it's tr- so traumatic. I can remember it as if it was yesterday. I was crawling around on the floor under the table. I was that, un you know, where you, you can't breathe anymore. So you've cried yourself so hard that you literally are hyperventilating. Um, And it really started with a conversation where I said, I can't wait. I'm going into leadership. I'm going to be in seventh grade. I'm going to be kind of like older this year. I'm still looking forward to all these things. And we have to pick out my class schedule, which is always an exciting time, right? And she was like, you're moving to Idaho. Yeah. You know, I have to take care of myself um, and I need you to be strong. And she was very upset that I took it so hard. Not upset in a mean way, but I don't think she was expecting me to be so outwardly upset. That's the moment. You, but you're in the seventh grade when your mom is like, hey, I need you to move to Idaho. Like that's, of course you were going to take it that way. I'm, I'm really sorry that that's, how old was your brother at that point? So he was going to be a sophomore in high school okay, and he was excited to go to Idaho. My brother wanted to step into fantasy land. He was ready to go to some place that he thought was going to be, you know, heaven. Right. I can't imagine in the seventh grade having to leave my family, leave my friends, get on a plane. Did you know your dad? How, when was the last time you had seen your dad? There were periods of time where we were visiting him during the summer and we started uh, not going there when my mom got remarried. It was like sort of not cool at that point because my stepdad was trying to focus on us being in his life and I'm sure he felt that that was a, a threat at some level. I never talked to anybody about it. I just noticed that we hadn't been going for a while. And so we started back up on that doing two weeks during the summer. And I met his third wife slash girlfriend at the time. And we weren't told, we just ended up at a cabin in Idaho as he picked us up in San Francisco. He drove us 10 10 hours, 12 hours, and then told us like about 10 minutes before we got to the dinner that, oh, by the way, I'm not with this gal anymore that you used to know. I'm now with this gal and her kids. And as a, as a young boy in third grade at the time, I remember thinking, I am freaking out. Like, who are these new people? <laughs> I'm going to go stay at this cabin with a whole new family. So the silver lining is, and I talked to my sister last night, is I gained a sister out of it. And she is all but my sister from every angle. Like, I don't even think of her as not my biological sister. And so we're very, very close. And she called me from Baltimore last night to tell me she got poked. Oh, whoa. Okay. All right. And and she's so (laughs) funny, right? She works in politics. She's a PhD in sociology, but she has these great one-liners or great, like she calls things to certain things. So she was saying she got vaccinated. Oh, poked. I'm sorry. My brain went to a whole different place when you said the word poked. Hold I know, it. Matt. You've kind of been on that track, and I'm, I'm trying to keep you focused. I, but I, poked, she, she was doing the arm thing. I mean, we both know what you said. We both know exactly why you said it. So when 
again, going back to seventh grade. Um, Wait, what time is it? I know, right? Right. I love it. <laughs> this is this is what you get. Well, you're the one who's talking about poking. So when <laughs> when you moved in the seventh grade to Idaho, like, and you left your friends and everything behind, how did it take you to be okay with being there? Like, at what point were you like, okay? moving your mom out, out, of, out of that picture for one second, because I can't imagine what it's like to lose a mom. But in terms of being in a whole new world, how long did it take you to be like, okay, I could, I'm okay here? I can remember being relieved early on. Um, the trauma of not having my mom, you can read it in my letters that I have. I've actually read it in front of a thousand people. Just the excruciating words of a, of a young son who misses his mom desperately in those letters, but also getting to be a kid again. You know, I used to walk home from fifth grade and be wondering if my mom was going to be stuck in the bathtub and I was going to have to try and pull her out because she was too weak or, you know, what bad news she was going to have, or we were going to get uh, on her condition because that, that cancer journey is like a massive roller coaster. You've got highs and hope, and then you got lows and it's just a crazy, crazy time. So going there and just being a kid, I started like walking home with the cheerleader. I started playing football. I started being a normal guy and it felt good to just be a part of this community. And I also figured out how to make friends real quick uh, because I was behind everybody else in terms of they had all known each other, right? When you're in junior high for a year or two, it's all the kids from your elementary. And then, you know, that way. So I had to really work to fit in. And, and I did. I, I, one of my biggest gifts from the, the, those experiences was, was learning how to make friends and being able to read people and understand where, you know, how I could try and fit in and also be a leader, um, somebody who brought people together. I have three different questions, but one of them is, look, your dad wasn't living with you for a very long time. You saw him for a few weeks out of the year. First of all, I do think that you were very lucky in that sense to have a, a parent, another parent to go to, right? But what was it like for him? All of a sudden, you know, he's like, I have my two boys are coming to live with me. Like, what was that like for him? I think it created a lot of conflict. I think he was excited to a certain degree because um, he'd never really raised us. So this was his opportunity to actually have us under roof. I mean, I was one when my parents got divorced. Side note, I was adopted at birth. Oh. And a little fact that a lot of people, most people that know me know that, um, but people that read about the organization are surprised to find out that I was actually adopted by Sally, which actually in a lot of ways probably makes that relationship even that much more special. <clears throat> in that short 16 years, the love that I got from that woman, um, you know, true, true motherly love. Um, she put a lot on the, on the line for, for, to, to have these kids. Um, and my dad didn't really have as much of responsibility in that once he kind of signed the papers. So I think my dad, I think he got a chance to kind of redeem himself. I don't know how those conversations must've gone where my mom's like, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, or I don't know if I can take care of them physically right now. They're becoming teenagers. They require a lot more from me in terms of discipline. And my dad was very low key and didn't like conflict. I do. I would say that I think it created a lot of uh, problems in his marriage. Mm. I think that, you know, his wife wanted to kind of focus on her kids and I don't think she wanted the extra stress. She didn't deal with stress very well. And I'm sure we brought a lot of stress to the situation. Um, so much so that we had a little dog that she ended up taking to the vet and having exterminated because she felt that it was too much stress. And she allowed for us to feel like it had been lost until we found out the truth. So that's the kind of stress that we were dealing with, which sounds crazy when I talk about it. Um, but that's something that was created out of all of this turmoil. Jesus. That's not something, I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, we almost didn't speak for many years, which created an interesting situation in the household. But by the same token, in a weird way, Matt, like we, I was for the first time becoming a part of a family. We were all jumping into the van to go 
backpacking and we were exploring parts of nature that I just wasn't that exposed to um, in the Bay Area. Um, so I was having access to a whole part of my life, tapping into that whole outside part of myself, which was just the beauty of that incredible state. Um, and being exposed to things like skiing and affluent families and cabins that were on the lake so that I could learn how to water ski, even though I didn't own a boat, I adopt, I was adopted by all of these families. And so it really exposed me to a lot of really cool, cool stuff, but it wasn't easy. No, I wouldn't think so. Was your um, brother adopted as well? He was at birth. Yeah. We were both adopted. And my wife recently found my mother and my father through what began as 23andMe. And then it kind of went on from there with a massive amounts of detective work on her part. And so to culminate that into, oh, this week is a matter of fact, you were talking about where were we a week, a year ago. This week, my mother was in town to visit me in LA for the first time. Your biological mother. For a week, yeah. My biological mom. What was that like? Well, it's weird seeing somebody that looks like you because my whole life, I've never identified with people from a visually like, oh, you're one of me. I didn't know what that was like. And I didn't know what my nationality was. <clears throat> so I'd always play a game like, okay, everybody, what am I? Am I Greek? What am I? Am I Spanish? Like, what's my nationality? <laughs> so um, it was cool. It was it was a way to get to know her and start to create our own memories because we don't have a lot to talk about. I know this is totally off of, of the nonprofit that you founded, but like, I'm always really curious. So, uh, you know, you, you, you had your mom and unfortunately she passed away, but she was your mom. And then you lived with your dad. Now you've met your biological mother. Do you feel somewhat, um, I don't know, like guilty that you're having a relationship with a, with the biological mother? I think that my not finding them for 20 years purposefully, even though I knew they had reached out on several occasions, which is a much longer story, but they had kind of put it out there and I kind of, flubbed it up. I was in my twenties living in LA and I just don't think I was there yet. And I could have easily and didn't try and shy away from it, but I didn't follow up like I could have to do some deeper digging. And over the period of time, people were like, Oh, my friend's a detective. He does this work. And I kind of would be like, okay, give me the number and I'll put it in my drawer. So I think to answer your question, that's probably what was going on with me is just, I was starting this charity in my mom's name. I was missing her. I, in my adult life, I've been traumatized by what happened to me and I was trying to build a life. And I think it was, for me, it felt like an inconvenience. And I also worried about what that would mean in my mom's name. And now just getting to a place where I'm just so much more at peace and having a lot of healing through helping other children and other adults go through this experience. My, my wife put it to me this way. She was just like, think about this family who knows you exist and what she does every year on your birthday at Christmas. My birthday is December 14th and how she must be feeling. Mm. And aren't, are you ready to, to know? And I was like, you know, if you do the, if you do the heavy lifting, um, I'll show up. And she certainly did. She's amazing. And she really brought the whole thing together. And, you know, we flew to Columbus, Ohio, and I got to learn about, you know, my three half sisters. So it's like, I've got this new family and I think it's, it was time um, as my girls are getting a little bit older for them to see that I have another part of my life. So interesting. That's a whole, you know what? That's a, that's a podcast part two. All about, all about that. I find adoption. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating. It's so fascinating. And my dad lives with his twin brother in his early seventies and is an evangelist and travels around uh, the Bible belt delivering sermons and was in um, both of them were caddies for the PGA golf tournament. Okay, Nick. So there you we're have making, it. We're making like a part two. I brought and Matt and when we YouTube them early on, they were doing like sixties and seventies songs with Jesus. So it was like rolling, rolling, rolling with Jesus. When you start digging into your background, this, these are the fun things you're going to find. Yeah, that's the whole. Okay, this is a, we're going to come back to a podcast number two. Okay. Just, Promise. To go back to being, let's say, you know, you have a there's somebody else out there whose parent is diagnosed with cancer. What and it's terminal cancer. 
what advice do you have for A, how do they prepare for it, but also what does their parent expect? What should they expect to do? Well, I first tell families and, and, you know, we talk to kids a lot about expressing yourself um, because I think there's not enough information on the long-term effects of bottling it up. I think my brother never expressed himself, whereas I kind of made a point through theater through my acting and, and going to the American Conservatory Theater, I think I would use that as an outlet to channel some of that anger and trauma. I think that I always shared <laughs> to my detriment with my friends. Um, I think sometimes people are tired of hearing about Walk with Sally and all the great work we're doing, but I think you have to express yourself. I think you need to find people and share and find you know um, people that will listen. Um, I think also too that you just want to be as honest as you can, depending on how old a child is, because I think make-believe stories are 10 times worse. And I think it's important that parents communicate with their children softly about what's going on um, so that they can be a part of the process and feel like they're included as opposed to knowing something's wrong but not knowing what's wrong. And um, it depends a lot on your age as a child. But I think that it's okay to talk about your fears. I think it's okay to worry that um, your self-preservation may be at risk and to not be afraid of that. And the last thing I would say is something that I learned is okay to be embarrassed. It's okay to feel like you don't want your mom coming to soccer practice because she has a bandana on her head. Like it's okay to have those feelings because I didn't know it was okay. And I felt like a monster for feeling that way. I was so worried about being popular that oftentimes the cancer thing really got in the way. Thank you for being so honest. Appreciate it. Um, I think this is an unfair question, so I'm going to preface it that way. Um, but as a, as a child, right, what's it like to lose a parent? Well, I think that, you know, when we get older, we start to hear about stories of people passing away or a friend getting some weird thing. I just had a friend recently diagnosed with ALS. Um, so we're starting to have experiences of losing our grandma, depending on how old you are. But when you're 10, 11, 12, 13, and you're having the death conversation, it is, you know, I can remember being in my mom's bed and just having nightmares about what death was, like understanding what death was or trying to understand what death was and, and worrying about death. Um, also, just this incredible bond that you have with your mom and just like not wanting her to be sick and wanting to be able to fix it. So it does a number on you. It really does. And I think it also helps you appreciate life and you start to really live it to the fullest. Some people choose to just go down a toilet and other people are like, man, I am, I mean, now I know that life is short and let's do whatever we say we need to do. And sometimes I follow that pattern a lot. And sometimes I go back into, well, what will people think if I try to contact my cousins to help, you know? So, but it gave me permission to start the charity because of that life is short. I hope, I think COVID has taught us all the same thing. Like do what you got to do. Like, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's true. I mean, I thought 9-11 would have done that for a lot of us. And I thought that it did for a while. It really healed us as a country in a way. And then what happened to that? Because I, I remember all of us being for each other. It wasn't politics at that time. What's like the greatest memory you have of your mom? What's the, you know, what's the happiest memory you have of your mom? Wow. I love your questions. Um... God, you're going to make me cry. This is so funny. Um, I think holding her hand uh, was always just that little simple thing that we used to play this game where she would squeeze once and then I would do it once and then she would squeeze three times and I would squeeze three times. And I do that with my girls and did it when they were really little. But those simple moments, um, she loved to lie in the sun with her big hat and I'd love to going out there and just chilling with her. And I guess for all intents and purposes, we were sunbathing, but it was like hanging out. Um, I'm trying to think of another memory where it was, you know, and this is where it gets scary too, is when you get older, you start having these like moments where you want to kind of preserve it. My best 
and scariest time was when I went to visit her after I had moved to Idaho and I had gotten my driver's license at 14 in Idaho, which was another oh. perk. Whoa. And back then having, being a 14 year old and have your own driver's license, that was, I, I mean, I can't imagine. Was, and so the freedom of that, and I, I flew to, to Santa Cruz, which is where my mom was living. And she's like, I want to do one really good trip with you. And I think she probably knew she had a, a minimal time to live. She was looking frail and, but you know, I had it that she was getting better and that I was going to come down for this uh, month of summer and be a beach kid in Santa Cruz. And it was all too cool. And she was going to take me clothes shopping, which for whatever reason, I was one of those guys that loved, you know, August clothes shopping before school started. Um, getting my waffle stompers or whatever. And um, we drew, she said, you have to drive. I can't really drive very well, but we're going to drive Big Sur to Hearst Castle. And so that was really a, a funny moment. But the drive to Big Sur and Hearst Castle and being with her. And the two of us just being together on that trip. And since then, Big Sur has been one of my um, favorite places. I asked my wife to marry uh, me on a hillside with lavender um, at Ventana Inn. And and just um, the magic of going back there year after year after year with that started with my mom. And, and I've carried that through with the sea lions and the smells and the hiking and, and the camping and all that stuff. So That's lovely. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more personal question, and then we can talk about your non actually talk about your nonprofit. Um, how did your experience uh, affect you having children and wanting to have children? Mm. I think my experience made it so that I didn't want to settle down early. So I waited till I was in my early 30s before I really, I've always felt like I'm like forever stuck at being 16 since my mom passed away at 16, I'm kind of stuck. I'm like rested development. I would tell you, you have a very a youthful energy to you. So yeah, you it's, it, it's, it's, it's definitely served me and then it hasn't, but I've always been about five or 10 years behind on like where I'm supposed to be on the curve. <laughs> and so just, just being an entrepreneur and discovering myself and always working for myself and creating these different businesses. I've, I've built an in-home care company, um, uh, you know, working in the film industry, developing um, a brokerage company that basically um, provides locations to the film industry at a very high level, Netflix and, and, that, and that sort of thing. Um, and then this charity, developing it from an idea, arrested development, I think, and, and having a family, like I, I waited I, I was very cautious uh, because I've had divorce in my life. Um, my mom was married twice. My dad was married three times. And at the same time, I was excited when I met my wife to be able to start to actually contemplate this as a, as a, as a, as a real idea. But prior to that, I was single and fun and, and, you know, bought my first house and, wanted to just play. And then there was just that time that happened where you just had this uh, uh, innate awareness that it was time. And it, and it happened for me, you know, in my mid thirties instead of my mid twenties. So what I want to know in terms of grieving, when people lose a parent, I have actually a few friends who've lost a parent in COVID. What, is, what do you tell them? Like grieving sucks. And I don't think it gets easier losing a parent, but like, when does it actually get better? How do you get yourself through those beginning days? Well, I think grieving and mourning, right, are two different things. The act of grief and grieving to mourn is to, to actually feel those feelings, to allow yourself to mourn. I tell people like have those feelings sort of hearkening back to the earlier conversation. I baked bread for my friend who's lost his mom last week. And I had my wife bake. She's been <laughs> baking during COVID. And so we're getting all sorts of sourdough at this house, right? San Francisco style. And I brought over a bread and I was like, dude, you know, we don't hug that often, but you need to just give me a hug. And I just said, you need to feel these feelings. I always tell people, I don't know how it feels to be you. I think that's one of the best things you can say to somebody because it really takes down all of the man, I feel bad. Or, you know, let me tell you how, you know, it's like, look, I have no idea how you're feeling. And I don't care that my mom died of cancer. I have no idea how you're feeling. 
And I think people need to share and cry and get it out. It feels so good. And then you'll do it again. And here I am, 45, 46, 47 years old, and I'm still doing it. The other night I had a conversation with my daughter and her boyfriend, and we were playing uh, Cards Against Humanity. And my favorite, it brought my favorite, up my favorite, my favorite game, my favorite game. And you can be as dirty and nasty as you want to be. It's my favorite and game. When, you know, and when your kids get to a certain age where it's just no longer even an issue anymore, cause you're just like, you're tired of even trying to hide them from the F word. Like we're now past that. And so now we're, we're, we're in, in, in another time. And so to be able to share with them and then actually cry with my daughter around missing my mom and saying, you know what? Right now is a time where I would I, I just really miss her. So I think it's about continuing to acknowledge that we have to grieve and that it doesn't go away, but that it does make it better. And I also tell people to visualize them in white, visualizing a healing color and surrounding them with that healing, whether they're sick and we don't know what's going to happen, but to really visually say, even hold their hand and say, I'm going to think with you around this area and we're going to positively think about it as a meditation, which is what my mom did, which is why my event's called white light. And this white light could be something you could give to somebody as a gift to say, I'm going to be thinking good thoughts. So I told my friend whose mom passed in a text message, I'm surrounding her with white and Megan and I are visualizing her in, in another place right now. And I just wanted you to know that's what we're doing. And we did that together. And they said, you know, you're nuts, dude. You're the only one that's come over here with a thing of bread on a Saturday afternoon when we've been crying all week. And I'm like, hey, I just want to drop off my bread, give you a hug. And then he starts telling stories about her and he starts sharing about her. And he starts telling me how he's guilty because he felt that she didn't get a chance to say goodbye to a lot of her friends because of COVID. And that was really bothering him because she had this wonderful social life. I didn't even try to fix it. I just was like, got it. Like that sucks. And yet she had all these great friends and that's really what was important. Right. I think people, when they, when, a, when one of their really good friends loses a family member, you know, we don't know what to do and we feel really weird about it. And we just, we don't know what to say. And I, I don't think that anybody expects you to say something that fixes it. Cause you can't fix it. It's that you have to be there for them and just, you know, I, 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 for, well, at least for me, I do what you do. I bring over food or I, I just say I'm here to give them a hug because you can't make it better, right? And hopefully maybe something that I've said will give listeners an opportunity to be like, wow, how can I be a part of the process of that healing or sharing that I'm going to send these energy to mm -hmm. them? And, and I think being able to say, hey, I don't know how you're feeling is really powerful. I, I don't know what it's like to, to be what you're going through right now. But like you said, I'm here and giving them a chance to grieve because it'll make people uncomfortable. So they either choose not to be around it or when it happens, they're like, oh, and instead I, I've really gotten really good at just being with that. It's okay. Yeah. Feels you, good. So, and I'm going to, I want to talk about Waffle Sally in a second because it's totally unfair that I haven't done that. Yeah, I, I forgot mean, what we were here up. for. I know you keep bringing it up and I keep like going to other questions. Because, yeah. I was like, Hey, white light, my big event. Um, I know you did. You did a great job of bringing it back to your event. You really did. <laughs> Circling it back. Oh, you did. You did. Um, one last question. And then I, I, I do want to do you that. You say that all the time, Matt. Liar. And you figured me out. This is what you should, again, if you listen to a podcast, you would have heard it. Now I know. If I, if, if I want to reach out to a friend who's just lost a family member, what is better? Email, text, phone call? Like what, what, what should I do? I think you need to meet them where they are. If what you always did was text them, then text them. I have some friends that I just like, dude, get, let's get on the phone. Like, I'm not going to text you. Mm. We, we need to get on a call, right? Some people can do the zoom call and you've already been doing zoom. I would just meet them where they are. This friend that I had his her mom died. Um, I knew that texting was going to be the best way I could just throw a lob out there and say, I know that this is happening and I'm here and white light all day. And, and that meant a lot to both he and his wife. So I think it really just depends on what your friendship or what your relationship's like and how you've been communicating. And you could even ask them. I want to see you. I want to talk to you. What's good for you? And they'd be 
hey, we are overwhelmed with everything. Or do what I did, just take bread over to the house and don't even be invited. Like just show up. I, I think that that's a really, I think that's a great way to go about it. You know what? I talk to a lot of people, Matt, and I do work with a lot of, especially mothers and, and spouses that have lost a, a, a spouse. And she's like, you don't even know what you need. So until somebody like delivers that bread or starts the group of friends that are going to start cooking meals for you every night, like you, they're like, oh, just ask if you need anything. Actually, you don't even know what you need. So what you really need is somebody to take leadership around anything and run with it. And so I would tell people like, bring some leadership to it. Cause usually those people are waiting for someone to just do something and they don't even know what it is. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. So Walk with Sally. I feel like this must have been such a cathartic uh, organization that you founded. So helpful for you. Why don't you tell our listeners, listener, I don't know, because I've asked the last question a hundred times. Tell them about Walk with Sally. And and why should somebody make a donation to Walk with Sally? Like, for example, your your cousins. Why should somebody make a donation? Well, I I, I think first and foremost, Walk with Sally is, is very unique. And it, it doesn't exist that I know of uh, in this form where an adult can heal from their cancer journey by helping a child. So turning a negative into a positive is a beautiful thing to, uh, to lose my mom to cancer only to turn around and help thousands of families. What a beautiful, not only tribute to her and who she was as a mom, but to the need that this community is longing for connection that families want to have support. And sometimes, like I told you, they just don't know what it is until it gets handed to them. And they're like, oh my God, mentoring? Who would have thought? So is it cathartic? It it is beautiful to not know a lot of these kids personally and know that because I brokered a friendship, that they may have a lifelong friend who will change the course of their lives through mentoring. And just a quick story Our mentor and mentee last year who got the Lifetime Award were Matt, who was a little boy at the time when he met Ed. Ed was in his early 50s. Matt was about 11 or 12. Matt's mom died. He's living with his aunt and some of his cousins. He describes himself as overweight, had no understanding of nutrition or fitness, and was kind of slacking in school. When Ed came over time, exposing him to our activities where we did surfing and sand activities and, and exposing them to museums and, and starts all sorts of things. And Ed's love of the outdoors and running. Eventually Matt did the marathon. Matt picked up his grades and started eating well, got a scholarship through walk with Sally as well as at a school liberal arts program in Michigan. And after five years, Ed actually was the male in his life that went, to Michigan to start him off on his journey for college. And so that's, that's the cathartic part of it. All I did was just create a platform, a vessel for these people to like move into um, a, a level of friendship that is a lifetime. So I'm happy. I want walk with Sally to be a portal for people who've been wanting to give back, but not sure how. And when you ask me where the money goes and why should I give, if you love the idea of no child going through cancer alone, because somebody like Matt is going to come back into our community and he's either going to be someone who's going to be productive and is a leader, or he's going to be somebody who's, as he described, unhealthy, depressed, not doing well in school. And we ultimately transformed his life. And that's, I think that's why people give and want to give because they believe in the stories and the way that we're changing lives. Um, and the last thing I would say is that we create these communities I told you about earlier. It's amazing when a child gets to actually talk to another child or be around another child when they've gone through a similar experience. Yeah. And I didn't have that growing up. I had to be real stoic. I got two weeks from school, flew to California. My mom was on her deathbed. I put her, buried her or cremated her, threw her ashes under the Golden Gate Bridge, and then came home and started my sophomore year. Was there anyone there for you? I mean, 
Did you have anybody there to talk to about it? I, I built a group of friends around me who were very invested in my story and they, they rallied. And, and I think part of what I was doing was building that support. And, your brother. and they showed up. They showed up. My brother, not so much. My brother dipped into um, substance abuse a little bit. <clears throat> he was um, fairly troubled. And then eventually he got his life and his family and he, you know, is living in Boise and, and, and enjoying his life. But there's times where I've been concerned that he doesn't want to share, doesn't want to talk. I think it's affected his health to a certain degree. And um, he doesn't have the same feeling about my mom and he doesn't have that same story that I have about the, the, the experiences of missing her and loving her. Everybody's journey is their own. So yeah, you know, what I have learned in all of this is we can only do so much. And, you know, we have to be there for that person as they're on their journey. That's the best we can do. You know, one of the biggest gifts that you can have is just acceptance. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate this time with you, Nick. Uh, I am awesome. beyond, beyond in love with your nonprofit. Um, and I'm waiting for you to get me some kind of sponsor or at least that bottle of Tito's and then uh, quid pro quo. And then I will, I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll invite you to the box at the Hollywood Bowl whenever the hell we can go and we'll drink and we'll enjoy ourselves under the stars. While I still have a little bit of booze, a little bit of champagne left in my drink, I'd like to toast your mom. So what would you like to say to toast your mom? I, I would just say to mom, just what you've taught me about is the strength of women and the beauty of women. And you taught me at an early age that um, through your strength, that women are powerful. So cheers to you, mom. Cheers to your mom and to you and to an amazing organization, Walk With Sally. And for those folks who want to learn more about it, um, please go on to our website, your website, and definitely either sign up to be a mentor, sign up to donate. And if nothing else, be there for a friend of yours who's lost a family member. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, Sally. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Nick. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So was it an Oprah moment? Are you thinking that, like, you know, I'm Oprah adjacent? Yeah, Matt, no. After listening to it again, confirmation, Oprah adjacent, 100%. You are just that good. Well, on that note, in two weeks, I'm very proud of our next guest. Her name is Fran Riley, and she is the executive director of News Leaders Association, which is based in Washington, D.C., and that's an organization that provides support for journalists across the country, which, as we all know, they needed a lot of last year. And now we get to learn more about newspapers. Again, who's reading newspapers anymore besides my grandpa? So I'm a bad person, actually. It's okay. You're Oprah adjacent. So it's it, it all kind of comes out in the wash. Well, thank you. I, I really thought you guys uh, talk about some really interesting topics as it pertains to uh, the importance of journalism. And in a day and age where we do not know what sources we can trust. And I think as everybody knows who's listening to this show, that the one source they can trust is us. 100% Matt, way to pick it up and run with it. That was a beautiful segue. Thank you. So <laughs> what I'm going to get in my final Oprah moment before I let you close out is that if you're listening to the news out there, you don't know if you can trust anybody and you don't know where to get your news from, Here's the place right here, Nonprofit on the Rocks, because the more that we drink and the more that our guests talk, the more honest we are. And truly, that's how you know that we are the one place to go to, to know what's going on in the world. How many inebriated liars do you know, people? I mean, let's be honest, booze is the truth serum. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It is the oldest truth serum in the book. It is, and it totally gets me in trouble, and that's why we pay you the big bucks to produce something. And to tell people that if they have complaints about Matt and his booze-induced truth bombs. Not possible. Not possible. No one has complaints. No one has complaints. But yes, bring it home, Ashley. Bring it home. In a hypothetical world. Uh, they can find us on the web at EnvisionNonprofit.com. 
Um, and they can also find all the information they need about our show. And please tell all your friends about us. And we hope to see you tune in in two weeks when we talk to Fran Riley. Bye.